This is a podcast from the Business Times. Given 2022 has been one of the most punishing years for investors, let's maybe not fixate on that and look forward. I get that that's hard to do, given the Dow Jones, the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq all slipped into bear territory. Sure, the STI didn't do as badly, well, relatively, but there's also the lingering supply chain issues thanks to COVID-19, skyrocketing inflation, the Russia-Ukraine war. Sorry, looking forward, yes, yes, whether or not we'll be able to track whatever new anticipated challenges may emerge remains to be seen, though. But let's at least figure out what hot trends are for portfolio gains in 2023. Welcome to Money Hacks, a podcast series by The Business Times, where we explore useful financial tips to help you on your money managing and wealth growing journey. I'm your host, Howie Lim. And helping us out today, Kelvin Tay, UBS Global Wealth Management's Regional CIO and Adjunct Associate Professor at the Wealth Management Institute, NTU. Thanks for your time, Kelvin. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's maybe start with a report card for how supposedly hot or stable sectors did in 2022, like tech, like bonds. Oh, but we're hearing some people are calling S-Streets a horror show at this point. Well, I don't think there was any surprises there. Let's start with the REITs first. They were actually pummeled by the increase in the um, government bond yields all year round. I mean, if your Singapore government security yields are paying you about 3.5% to 4%, then obviously the REITs will have to pay you a significant premium above that because with REITs, you're taking equity risk. With the Singapore government securities, you are basically risk-free, AAA rated. So the gap has to be quite significant for investors to be enticed to investing in REITs. And I think this year, the gap actually narrowed quite considerably. And that's one of the reasons why the REITs were sold off. Because for the REITs, unless the yields can actually rise on their own, where with the dividend payouts being higher, etc., it's almost impossible. So the prices have to come off to reflect a lower yield. So I think the REITs will still be under pressure. On a medium to longer term basis, it will be very difficult to expect investors, especially the institutional ones, to go back into investing into the REITs, not unless the government security use actually come off to more palatable levels. On the um, sector investing, on the style investing, I think this year has been a switch from growth to value. And that switch started in November 2021, when the Federal Reserve did its first pivot in its interest rate outlook. Again, not really surprising there, largely because the growth sector is more cash flow intensive, right? So they need to actually invest in their equipment all the time to boost their growth levels up. And where the value is concerned, the value companies are pretty much mature companies and they usually do pay out uh, most of the cash flow in terms of a dividend. So there's more stability in that particular sector itself. And this year, we saw a lot of movement there. And that's one of the reasons why the uh, Singapore index actually did relatively well compared to other indices because Singapore is a value index. About 42 to 45% of the index is the three local banks and, and the banks are mature and the banks also benefit from higher interest margins because of the fact that your interest rates went up dramatically this year from about 0% on the US Federal Reserve side to about uh, the current levels of closer to 4%. So that actually resulted in bigger, more net interest margins for the three local banks. And of course, that actually was very, very good, boosted their bottom line quite dramatically as a result of that. That's how the Singapore index actually performed this year. And I would say that you can also ascribe the same to some extent with the other indices globally as well. Narrowing down even further, you mean? Initially, it was buy tech, right? Buy growth. So we should be buying value now? Value, consumer staples as well. Because I think with the economic slowdown happening, you don't want to be 
in the consumer discretionary sector, you want to be in the staples because with prices so high, that's eating into your disposable income. With your mortgage rates rising dramatically, and in Singapore now the fixed rates are at about 4.5%, that is going to hurt the consumer's pockets as well. So they have less to spend. And when you have less to spend, you spend on the consumer staples. And the consumer staples are also rising in price because of inflation. So overall, the average consumer is worse off. And when they are worse off, they cut back spending and they only spend on the necessary items. It kind of sounds like nothing surprised you in 2022. No, it pretty much played out according to the playbook where, you know, if you have rates rising and when you have a year where rates are rising very, very quickly over a short period of time, then you really need to be aware of the fund flows in that sense and how that actually affects the um, equity outlook. You know, since November last year, I've been saying, you know, you should be invested in the value stocks and not in the uh, growth tech stocks. And what was most vulnerable was basically the loss-making tech stocks because when money becomes expensive and money is becoming expensive with your increase in your interest rates, then investors are likely to be a lot more discerning than when money was almost free. And that's one of the reasons why the loss-making tech stocks did pretty badly. And I think in the next 12 to 18 months, where the tech sector is concerned, anything to do with streaming, advertising, will likely struggle as a result of that. And of course, the tech transportation sector as well will also struggle on the basis of that. But what happened in 2022, which really kind of irked you? You saw it coming, you knew it'd be bad, they still did it. What you reckon? I was particularly irked that the Federal Reserve was still printing in March when inflation was already very high. That's something that I didn't understand. In their language, they were already turning hawkish. March was actually the second pivot that came. They were already very hawkish. They were already talking about inflation being stickier than usual and that they will have to increase rates pretty soon. And yet in March, they were still actively printing. And it was printing at a pace that was you know, the same as the last 24 months since COVID-19 started in the US and back in March, April 2020. And it was also at a time when the balance sheet was almost at 9 trillion, double what it was pre-COVID-19 at 4.5 trillion. And it's not even on hindsight because they did the first pivot in November 2021. I just can't understand. To this day, I just can't understand why they were still printing in March. They should have actually stopped way before that as well. It's not even with the benefit of hindsight. It's actually with the benefit of data that was actually coming out in November last year. Oh dear. So I guess you're just going to have to sit there thinking, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> so. So we're always told, right? Stick to the plan as retail investors. If you have a plan, stick to the plan. Don't have a knee-jerk reaction. So for example, if prices go up, you should still be spending, still be investing. But if goals and circumstances change, shouldn't an update be in order? And what should we be adjusting, so to speak? You have to be flexible. You have to be nimble. It doesn't mean that when the advice is stay invested, you stay invested in the same sectors year in, year out with no change, right? As a matter of fact, I always recommend that investors... If you have a balanced portfolio, you need to basically rebalance at least once a quarter, ideally once a month. Because, you know, if you have 50% in equities and 50% in bonds and the bonds market comes off by about 20%, then naturally, mechanically, your equity allocation is actually a lot more than your bonds allocation right now. And you need to reduce that. Because this year, if you didn't reduce that, you know, the S&P is down by 20% plus, that's really going to hurt you. So you need to be actively adjusting your portfolios. On a medium to longer term basis, when economies go through changes like that, when you are changing from one part of the business cycle to another part of the business cycle, you need to react accordingly as well. And that's what I always tell my students at NTU and at the Wealth Management Institute, that you need to be aware of all these forces at play. 
if you don't want to make any changes and you're happy being there and you don't want to look at your portfolios for 10 years, that's a completely different story. But I think most people will be looking at their portfolios on a weekly, if not on a monthly basis. Still to come, so far, we should look into things like value investing and consumer staples. Come on, there's got to be more. Find out when we return. Market Focus is your weekly look at markets in Singapore, the region, and beyond. From the Business Times podcast editor Clarissa Montero, the BT News Desk, and the Singapore Exchange. Every Friday at 2 p.m., go to bt.sg podcasts to download. And now, back to Money Hacks from the Business Times. Should we as retail investors keep an eye on things like global economic growth or the lack of it, geopolitical conditions, that record high inflation, etc. I mean, what if we can't make sense of it? You need to ask for help. You need to read up. You need to research or give it to the hands of a uh, portfolio manager in the form of a mutual fund. There are several balanced portfolio mutual funds that you can actually ascribe to. One piece of advice I would have is that I think in the next, at least in the next three to five years, the hedge funds are likely to do better as an asset class. Hedge funds have struggled since the global financial crisis in 2008 because after that episode, we had pretty much very, very low interest rates across the board, right? Many countries were at negative interest rates and the real rates were actually negative as well because most of the central banks, the major central banks at least, were printing in a big way. Balance sheets expanded dramatically. So that kept real use negative and low and everybody was actually very uniform across the board where that was concerned. So there was hardly any variability in the rates. There was hardly any variability in the currencies, in the fixed income markets. So it was very difficult for the hedge funds to try to actually outperform. And even the stock markets were actually quite uniform in their movements as well. But now this year onwards, you get quite a huge amount of variability in the markets because, you know, the Federal Reserve is at the forefront with rates almost at about 4%. The ECB is next, uh, they're hiking, and we expect them to hike by at least another 50 basis points next. And then you have the Bank of England also hiking. Uh, you have the Japanese central bank right at the bottom of the pile at negative interest rates. And last but not least, you have the PBOC, the Chinese central bank, actually cutting rates to try to stimulate the economy. So what I'm saying here is that you have a pretty much asynchronous business cycle amongst all the uh, central banks. And that in turn means that there is room There is enough space for the hedge funds to be able to actually manipulate and work on these differences to generate the alpha. And then we come to the beta alpha separation part, where I think, you know, if you can actually invest up to 15% in the hedge fund space, you get quite a decent amount of alpha separation from the rest of the beta that's driving your balance portfolios or your traditional balance portfolios. Mm, So you mentioned the bright spots for 2023, value, consumer staples, hedge funds becoming a better asset class, anything else? Yeah, you should also be increasing your exposure to uh, fixed income at least for the next 12 to 18 months because I think the global economy is slowing down and um, with that slowdown in the global economy, obviously the fixed income asset class tends to do better because your earnings growth next year will be pretty flat. We are looking at 2% for the US where earnings growth is concerned. So I think that's something to take into consideration. Have more into the fixed income side and globally as well. It may not have happened yet, but I think what's likely to transpire over the next decade or so is that as more and more of the baby boomers retire in the US and in Western Europe, what's going to happen is that these uh, baby boomers or retirees will increasingly have to depend on their retirement funds, their pensions, their insurance policies, for income. That means that more of these funds will see drawdowns, right, on a regular basis. 
And if you're getting drawdowns on a regular basis, then you probably need to invest more in stable asset classes that give you, you know, a steady return, come hell or water. And the fixed income asset class is the only one that actually does that. And the yields are now pretty attractive. Yields are decent enough for you to be able to actually draw that on a regular basis. Perhaps not enough for you to actually overcome inflation at this point in time. But, you know, if you have an allocation towards fixed income with some exposure to some equities here and there, you might be able to do well enough to be able to distribute that income on a regular basis. So that means that the demand for fixed income is likely to actually pick up over the next decade or so, in my view. No matter how low or high interest rates move, that demand will always be there simply for the fact that demographically the world is aging and we need more and more steady income coming through. You look at Asia as a whole, even India's fertility rate is dropping to below two. Philippines, 100 million population, Catholic country, even the fertility rate has actually dropped to below 2%. In urban India, the fertility ratio is actually pretty low. The same with China, the same with Thailand, the same with Singapore, Korea, Japan, Western Europe and even in the US. So despite the fact that the world population peaked at about 8 billion recently, I think the longer term trend is for the world population to actually slow down, to actually decline because of the fact that, you know, the world is becoming more prosperous, richer and less rural, more urbanized. And where those trends are concerned, you can't reverse it in a decade or so. It takes decades, right? It takes like three to four or perhaps five decades to actually reverse these flows. And I don't know what's going to reverse that, given the fact that urbanization has been a very strong driver of lower populations everywhere. Kelvin, thanks for your insights. Thank you very much. And with that, I wish everybody Merry Christmas, a better new year next year for our investment portfolios. And um, hopefully I get to speak to you soon. Kelvin Tay, UBS Global Wealth Management's Regional CIO and Adjunct Associate Professor at the Wealth Management Institute, NTU. We've been discussing what 2022 taught us and the outlook for 2023. And that's a wrap for this episode of Money Hacks. I'm Howie Lim. Till next time. That was a podcast from the Business Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple. Spotify, Google Podcast or, via the Google Voice Assistant Amazon-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3 you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.